Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by our host and star of this show, Jerry Trupiano. This is On the Record with Jerry Trupiano, episode 416 on our network. Just want to thank our audience before we get going here, closing in on 64,000 subscribers today. Hope to hit 65 by the end of the month. We're well on track for that. And just want to thank a couple sponsors. We have Blackout Coffee. Be awake, not woke is their slogan right here. And if you type in the code, looking for your code, Jerry, what's your code? Do you remember? J-E-R-R-20, is it not? It is J-E-R-R-20 at checkout. You'll get 20% off your first purchase on Troop and then 15% off in perpetuity if you continue to use his link. Also want to thank Jaw Bats, the newest bat that'll be certified by Major League Baseball. Newest partner, our buddy Jeff Fry is using one down in the Boston Red Sox fantasy camp this week. My son Tanner's using his as well. Great grains. I think they're both using the M110 model. That's similar to the Louisville Slugger. Great finish. Uh, very few grains on it. It's what you want. Use our code RVG at checkout and you'll get 15% off anything on their website. Bats included. Uh, but we want to thank both those sponsors. And with that, Jerry, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Dave. Uh, we're going to visit with, excuse me, we're going to visit with Bill Bender, the National College Football Writer for the Sporting News. And Bill, I, I wanted to put a bow on the college football season, but with what's going on in the sport, I don't know if we'll ever put a bow on it. it is, since Michigan won the national title, it's been crazy. Well, Jerry, I tried to put a bow on it when I got off the plane in Columbus from Houston in that national championship trip. And then less than 48 hours later, the greatest college football coach of all time retired. There have been six coaching changes since. There is still a chance the national championship coach Jim Harbaugh could go to the NFL. So we'll try to put a bow on it, but let's let's maybe leave a little room to tie it up there at the end. Yeah, let, let, let's give ourselves some uh, wiggle room. Let, let's talk about that uh, Michigan National Championship. What, what did you think of that team? Would, were you confident that they were going to win it going in? Well, I know the last time I talked to you, we were right before the Ohio State game and so much uncertainty about whether Sharon Moore could handle the pressure of that. And uh, the phrase I used – and. I don't I can't think of maybe you have a baseball example of this. They were just a team that won in everybody's face all year. You know, it started with Penn State. There's no way they could do it. They do that. They beat Ohio State. They beat Alabama in a classic Rose Bowl that was unbelievable to watch on the last play. And I think by the time they got to Washington, I figured they're they're a little bit better on both sides of the line of scrimmage. JJ McCarthy didn't mess anything up. And by the time Donovan Edwards ran for that second touchdown, you could kind of sense that this Washington team's not going to beat them. And they made Michael Penix Jr. uncomfortable all night. I think it was a solid team on both sides of the ball. Really the epitome of an ultimate Jim Harbaugh team. And fitting, he won his first national title with it. I'm glad you mentioned that it was effective on both sides of the ball for for Michigan because their their defense really made Penix and 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 the uh, offense for Washington man they they didn't look like anything that resembled uh, the Huskies against Texas. I will notice that early in the game, Michael Penix misses a touchdown throw on the very first possession to Roma Dunze, wide open throw and one he's made all season. And it's not that they got sacks or forced a bunch of turnovers. I just think they kept Washington in front. Their secondary tackled really well. There was an early play in the game with Jalen McMillan. He makes a catch on a screen pass. Typically, maybe runs for 8 to 10 yards on that. And Mike Sanders still just makes an incredible tackle. Uh, they they did make Michael Penix uncomfortable with the pressure. And the, the pressured throws were not accurate. So the one thing Michigan did better than anybody in the country this year, and championship teams typically do it, I'm not a I'm not an offensive or defensive line guru, but they had the best interior defensive line in the country, and it showed up in that game. How much we always look below the surface, don't we, in, in, in the media? How much was the rallying around Jim Harbaugh and everything that went on through the season uh, a, a rallying cry for the Wolverines? Oh, it was part of it, but again, they didn't. They did. They just didn't let those things in. I don't think that they had a genuine love 
for Jim Harbaugh. And, and I know Jim Harbaugh with the media is frustrating. I'm not going to lie. He'll You'll ask him a question. It would be like, Jerry, you ask me this question and I start talking about ice cream. You'd be like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> but he does that with reporters. But you can tell his players really love him. And they wanted to win this for him. And they were playing so hard for him. And I and that's not who Jim is. If you ever watch his interviews, he won't talk about himself. He won't talk about scheme with you. And he won't talk about, you know, the future. He kept saying, I don't have, I, I hope I have a future. And he would deflect the NFL question. He will talk about how much he loves his family, how much he loves his players, how much, you know, a, a coach like Bo Schimbeckler meant to him. Um and I, I think that's the hidden message. You ever notice in the TV where he so quickly like passes the sideline reporter off to his players? I, I think there's some genuineness to that. It's not disingenuous. I just don't think he likes being in front of a camera. I thought one of the great moments, and he, he was coaching at the highest level, the most pressure, if you will, the national championship game. But his brother John comes up and they embrace. I thought I thought that was a tremendous moment. Oh, I, I got I got an even better one. I was on the field, and that was awesome. You're exactly right. I'm on the field afterward, and confetti's flying around, and I happened to be standing really close to Jack Harbaugh when he caught Jim Harbaugh's eyes for the first time, and he just let out this scream of pride that like every father with a son, you, you couldn't help but feel that. Right. And, and Jim runs up to him, gives him a big hug. Jim gives his mom, Jackie, a big hug. And, and I thought to myself and, and to rope John into it, you're going to you have the possibility as a father. If you're Jack, you're you're in your 80s. One son just won a national championship. Your other son may win a Super Bowl this year. They're they're corny. They've got the hokey sayings. But that is a football family that's been doing this since. Jack was a, a GA in 1962. I mean, that that's a they're a football family through and through. And I couldn't help but just appreciate that father-son moment because I was thinking, you know, if my son ever did something like that, that's exactly how I would feel. You know, we, we talk about the money. We talk about the glory. We talk about the time on TV. But when we strip all that away, we're, we're talking about people. We're talking about people. And, and and their humanities, their faults, their 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 things that make them special. So th th those moments, you know, to see that in person must have been tremendous. Yeah, and, and of course he. What does Jim do on the podium? He he pulls Jack up there. I thought that was amazing. He just Jim Harbaugh does things that are so unpredictable that I, I, I wrote this column when I was out there, that we're going to miss him when he's gone from college football. If he takes the Chargers job or the Raiders job and moves on to the NFL, he beca I, college football has the personalities and, and the coaches where the, we watch. We don't watch to watch the coaches, but the coaches are the team in a lot of ways. In the NFL, you don't watch – other than Belichick, I don't think there's an NFL. You don't watch the Chiefs to watch Andy Reid. You watch them to watch Patrick Mahomes. NFL coaches are, are a guy on the sideline. I, and I think Jim Harbaugh's personality, while it fits the NFL better, is better for college football. Give me a breakdown percentage. What's the chances of, of him staying in Michigan or going to the NFL? I, you know, I would say 70-30 he's the Chargers coach. And this is just feel. There's no, you know, just by, based on what's been reported, that there's this notion that he kind of wants to stay at Michigan, but he wants immunity from the NCAA. That was a little bizarre headline. I just think if he goes to the Chargers, nobody can fault him. You know, he's leaving on top. He, he gave Michigan its first national championship since 1997, fulfilled the promise, but he's talked so much over the years about winning and chasing a Super Bowl that I don't think it's out of his blood system. I, I, I really don't. I just think he, I don't think he can get that Super Bowl chase out of his system because he didn't win one as a player. He had that, remember that run he had with the Colts where they were that Hail Mary short against the Steelers as a player. And then the run with the Niners. I just think he wants it. And you put Justin Herbert in that Chargers roster with Jim Harbaugh, you're going to get results. 
if he does take that job or an, another NFL job, is his replacement in-house in Ann Arbor? I think it would be, yeah, I'll put a percentage on that. I would put 95% at Sharon Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, Deservedly so. Oh, I mean, how can you not? I, the audition was the best audition ever to go win at Penn State, win against Ohio State, juggle the duties of offensive line and running backs, co- or not running backs coach, offensive line, offensive coordinator, and head coach through the storm of that and to deliver. The, he called a brilliant game against Ohio State. I remember talking to you about that before that game. How would he handle the pressure decisions that come with coaching in an Ohio State-Michigan game. He handled them to perfection. They were great fourth down calls and uh, never got outside of who he is. Think he would be able to handle that program 365 days a year, and they keep some continuity from what they what they built with Jim Harbaugh. I, I would. They may make some calls, Jerry, but I just don't see any way it's not Sharon Moore. I like the term you used. You know, he worked his way through the storm. We have certainly had a storm since the end of, of the games in college football. Nick Saban. It's not over yet. That storm right. isn't over yet. Well, yeah, the Saban hiring. So that happens a couple days later. And here's the wild part about that. So as I'm in Houston, and as any reporter would do, you would kind of ask around about Nick Saban's future. And these are really good sources that I'm talking to people that are around him. And, you know, the sentiment was he's not retiring anytime soon. This guy can't retire. He can't get it out of his system. He just needs to compete. Um, Well, of course, Wednesday he retires. And I don't think this was premeditated at all. I, I think he came to that decision that day or maybe a day before, or maybe during the Rose bowl. Um, it's wild that that I, I'm not going to say him retiring surprises me. The timing does surprise me, though. And uh, the shockwave it sent afterward. Like I said, there have been six head coaching changes since Nick Saban retired. And it's been a trickle-down trickle theory, really, when you look at uh, DeBoer leaving Washington and the subsequent moves. Well, Kalen DeBoer, I was around him at the Eddie Robinson dinner. He won the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year. Super impressive guy, what he's been able to do at Washington with the buy-in and all the veterans they had. That said, as somebody that, you know, look, I was a, a young kid when Bear Bryant retired. So, but you see who the guy is after Bear Bryant and then all the coaching changes and the instability. I would compare it to Florida and, and Steve Spurrier, honestly. When Steve Spurrier went to Washington, Florida went through has gone through six coaches. They caught Urban Meyer. They had a national championship run or two. But everything else has been really unstable. It's really hard to hi- fire or uh, follow a legend. Right. And I, I hope Kalen's up to it, but, man, that's a tough job to take on. The uh... – the transfer portal, the NIL, the, the the whispers you hear, you're much closer to it, obviously, than I. But you hear, well, Saban just had too much of that, and he decided it's time to go. Anything to that? I think it's definitely a contributing factor. Um, not that he would shy away from the, the competition of a 12-team playoff or the NIL or the recruiting. But, you know, step by step over the years, Nick Saban was telling you this. What did he say about the playoff expansion? It would take focus off the bowl games and diminish their value. That happened. What did he tell you about the transfer portal? It would not be used the way it should be used. That's happened. He talked about concerns with NIL and the collectives and the way that the intent of NIL and how it's actually being used being a concern. And that's happened. So I I think he's almost... If he goes to TV and and goes on game day and does those kind of things, I think he could actually have some influence on the sport that he couldn't have as a head coach because I tend to agree with him on all of those things. Remember, he got in the beef with Texas A&M and Jimbo by saying, you know, Texas A&M bought all their players. Well, everybody's (laughs) buying all their players. Sure they are. And they're asking fans to donate money to do it. That's the other unsustainable part of this model. Now, Saban, 
you know, open the door for DeBoer to go in there. But he also, with the domino effect, really secured, if you will, the future of, of some coaches who were, you know, being rumored to replace him and, and got contract extensions. For sure. I mean, rather it was Mike Norvell who kind of looked like a very good candidate for that job. You know, they were down to Norvell and Kalen DeBoer. Norvell, of course, the guy that led Florida State to an undefeated season. The guy that uh, has really turned that program around, has shown a knack for using NIL and the transfer portal effectively. Uh, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian was certainly mentioned because of their closeness to Alabama. Um, it, it was really interesting to see that unfold so quickly. I didn't think they would land on Kalen DeBoer, but I understand the why. You know, and like I said, a solid coach is assembling a heck of a staff. I mean, one of the things to, that really underrated part of this, Kane Walmack, South Alabama coach, Maurice Linguist, Buffalo coach. These are group of five head coaches have taken jobs as assistants at Alabama. That's also an unprecedented part of that. When have you heard of two head coaches leaving the group of five to go coach at Alabama? That, that was something else as well. Dan Lanning at at Oregon was was he flirted with at all? Oh, I think he was the first name on their list, and the fact that he has now been at the top of some coaching list and is dead set on staying at Oregon is a really good thing for the Ducks because of his youth, his energy. He coached under Kirby Smart. He's recruiting well. I think he has a grasp of all these new age things. Um, now he did lose to Washington twice this year. And Kalen DeBoer, you, you can't say he's better than Kalen DeBoer when we, we just watched what we watched. But certainly a guy that was on their radar, and he was the first one to get a raise. Uh, Jimmy Sexton, the agent, obviously had a big week. He was able to manipulate this market, get guys raises, and push it the way he did. Um, he made some money in the process. He had a really good week as far as agents go last week. So what was it about DeBoer that made him the guy? You know, you look at it, it's, it's his record, I think, partially. I, but again, when I was around him at the Eddie Robinson dinner, you just sense this guy that's all football, no nonsense. His press conferences aren't like, you don't leave wowed, like, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. But again, I think the players had tremendous buy-in. You know, the one thing that he's going to have to guard against by coaching in the South in the SEC conference is he is from South Dakota, and that outsider effect isn't real until they struggle. Brian Harzen at Auburn, Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State. Once they they struggled, then they're saying, well, how could this outsider do this? The big question Kalen DeBoer will have to answer is can he recruit at an elite level in the SEC? Because five to six of those schools have top 10 recruiting classes every year, and DeBoer is going to have to prove he can work those connections and do what Alabama was able to do and doing it in a much different environment than Nick Saban had to do it. I think that's, that above everything is going to be his biggest challenge. The, the team that he's inheriting, are they going to be in good shape? Well, they've lost some guys to the transfer portal, but you have Jalen Milrow back. You have a talented freshman class, um, good running backs. Justice Haynes is going to be good. They've got to find a way to try to get Caleb Downs back out of the portal, and I don't think that's going to happen. It sound, he was, in my opinion, the best player on their team last year, safety, that may end up at Georgia or Ohio State now. Um, but they'll have Alabama talent. I mean, it's for the next couple of years, they'll have enough talent to win the SEC and challenge for a national championship. It's just how many years can you do that? Um, another name I forgot to mention was Dabo. Dabo played at Alabama. Dabo played for Gene Stallings. Dabo three years. If we're doing this search three years ago, Dabo would have been the first three calls. So that's another factor to this, that maybe he gets called in three years if Kalen DeBoer can't handle this job. So what about Washington? They, they lose their quarterback. They got their receivers going into the, into the NFL draft. Uh, Jed uh, Fish. Leaves Arizona to go there. What kind of what kind of shape are, is is Washington in? Well, I mean, they, the thing is, they had a lot of guys leave that stayed an extra year. So, I mean, that in one respect, that shows what your program did. You had the buy-in to have those guys stay. They do have a lot of guys in the portal, 
it, it, it's unfortunate. This is one of those unfortunate circumstances because for Jed Fish, I understand exactly why he left. You know, bigger opportunity, Big Ten, Washington, more money, all those things. But he's leaving one of the best stories of last season. Arizona won 10 games with a freshman quarterback, a talented receiver. They were headed to the Big 12 on all those preseason top 25 lists. You had Arizona at 10 or 11, or I think we had them at 11. So it's unfortunate that he left there because that would have been a cool story. Seeing a school like Arizona, not a traditional football school breakthrough. But so they hire Brent Brennan from San Jose State. And on and on we go. We don't know if the, which Arizona players end up in the portal. Washington's got several guys in the portal. Alabama's got some guys in the portal. And part of me, we talked about this last time as well. That's part of this whole soul of college football not being quite the same. But it's also just the way the game's played now. You have to accept that, yeah, if these guys retire, all of these kids are going to go in the portal. So let's talk about the portal for a little bit. What what can be done? What is being done, if anything? And is, is there a lot of talk about, hey, we got we to gotta draw in the range here? It's so comparable to Major League Baseball free agency to me. Heaven forbid. Because... The way I see people want to draw comparisons to NFL free agency, it's nothing like that because the NFL happens after the season and all those things. MLB free agency for superpowers like the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Yankees, at least in my experience, they use the free agency to bring in the big names. And that's what's happening now. I just talked about downs for Alabama, this talented safety. Essentially right now there's a bidding war between Georgia and Ohio State to get him. Does Georgia and Ohio State really need another five-star safety? Probably not. And group of five players, group the group of fives essentially become double A and triple A, and the players that pop move up to the big leagues for their junior and senior year. Um, you've got cases where kids have played for three different schools in three years. DJ Uwangalele, the former Clemson quarterback, played at Clemson. Oregon State, and he'll be at Florida State next year. I think it's this is part of the factor that drove Saban out, part of the thing that's going to drive other coaches out because it's become impossible to manage your roster. I think it's easier to manage an NFL roster right now than it is a college roster, and I don't think it's even close. It, it must drive the people in charge of recruiting crazy to deal with this. Well, yeah, because – now you have an inflated, inflated sense of entitlement where you know, I had one writer tell me this a while back, said, you know, it used to be where a coach could say, if you don't like it, uh, you can take the next you know, bus out of town. Mm-hmm. Well, now they'll do that and they'll probably get paid to do that at another school. So um, that loss of control for coaches. Now, there's a line between You want student-athletes to have more opportunities. You want student-athletes to benefit. I'm not saying any of that. But I think they've got so much power and this freedom to come and go, uh, (laughs) you know, that, yeah, someone will buy them a bus. That's a great point. Um, That they'll come and go, that it's hurt the ability to recruit. I don't even care about recruiting rankings anymore because I'm like, how many of those guys are even going to be there in four years? Yeah, yeah. We're talking with Bill Bender, the Sporting News, the National College football writer for the Sporting News. And and correct or fill me in. When when I was doing college football, uh players, you know, an uncle represents them or the or the family represents them as through their recruiting, what have you. These guys don't have agents, do they? They have handlers, so to speak now. Handlers, that's you know, like these middlemen that run these collectives too. So that's my big question is, so what are they getting out of this? The the people that help facilitate some of these things. And that, that's another thing where, you know, from a media standpoint, I think in 10 years, it's going, you're going to have trouble talking to college athletes. It's going to be like trying to land an interview with an NFL quarterback in the off season. That's not easy to do unless you're really close with them or on the beat or, you know, somebody at the level of a Peter King who obviously has earned that access. Um, 
it, it's it's going to be hard. And you know, I think, like I said, it that it increases the sense of entitlement. I think that trickles down all the way to the high school level. Now you got kids like take the Nebraska quarterback for example, Dylan Riola, for better or worse, and you don't want to make judgments. He played for four, three different high schools. Uh, this is the world we live in now where these elite recruit, but I think that percentage of high school player that can make those kind of decisions is very small. Remember Quinn Ewers skipped his senior season of high school to reclassify and go sit on Ohio state's bench for NIL money. I think the class of athlete that can actually afford to do that is a relatively low percentage right now. Speaking of yours, what what about his backup, the Manning kid? Is he staying at Texas? I think so. I think they're not in a rush. You know, you look at the the track record of the Manning family. They're very private. They were very private about his recruitment. They were very deliberate about his recruitment. He was uh, at the hip of Quinn Ewers during his recruitment. So, you know, a couple things to consider here with Arch because everybody. I and I understand. Believe me, I'm, I understand why everyone is in a big rush to get him on a football field. It's a Manning. We got to see a Manning. Um, played at a very small school. His siblings, uh, Eli didn't play till the end of his sophomore year. Peyton wouldn't have played as a freshman if not for two injuries. So the development, allowing him to develop behind Quinn Ewers for another year may actually work in his favor, especially with the move to the SEC. And I saw the picture from Media Day, like everybody else, of the entire crowd around Arch Manning, and I get the fascination factor. But I actually don't think it's the worst thing in the world that he will uh, sit for another season. You may think I'm nuts. I'm going to draw a comparison here because I only I, I only saw him in a mop up role for for a few minutes in one of the Texas games. All right, but in that little mop up role. The one image that jumped into my mind that he reminded me of because of the build and the arm strength, he reminded me a little bit of John Elway at Stanford. Am I nuts? No. Um, you know, he's got more mobility than his uncles. He, he can, he runs a little bit. And, you know, that you, stat- you may have more mobility than his uncles. Ah, I don't know if I could uh, run that waggle quite as much. I'm getting a little bit older, but, um, he he does have mobility. I think he's got a presence to him. He obviously has an arm. Uh, I, the only one thing, like, I always stay away from comparing people to Elway too much because you can – he is one of the few quarterbacks you go in and pop in, like, well, unfortunately, in Ohio, they don't want to talk about the drive. But you go back and watch the drive, and some of those throws, even on TV in the 1980s, are absurd how he threw a football. Um, so, I mean, for Arch, I don't think he throws a football quite like that, but uh, there, there's a little bit about that. When he gets on the field, that presence, it, it it's going to be there. And again, sitting behind Quinn Ewers, and by the way, Quinn Ewers has missed games the last two years with injuries. So we may see Arch one way or the other next year. Do you know the name, the late Joel Bushbaum? Do you know that name? I don't. Joel Bushbaum was the before Mel Kuyper, there was Joel Bushbaum. Bill Belichick tried to hire him three times, once with Cleveland and twice with the Patriots. Joel would write the scouting reports for uh, Pro Football Weekly. The, the guy was tremendous. And I had him on my talk show every week. I heard him first on KMOX in St. Louis, then had him on my talk show weekly. Even the year round when I was doing a talk show in Houston, he was tremendous as far as the, the NFL draft and kids coming out of college, he'd said, I am not a scout. I gather information. I talk to scouts. Anyway, so one night on the talk show, a, a guy calls up and says, Joel, uh, what, what about John Elway? What's his weakness? And Joel said, and he had this very thick Brooklyn accent, he's not twins. <laughs> Joel, Joel was great. If, you know, he, he was he again before Kuiper, he he was the guy, and uh, like I said, Belichick tried to hire him three times, so that's got to tell you something. Uh, in addition to the portal, how much of a problem is the NIL? We're headed toward that revenue sharing discussion, 
And you wonder a couple things with NIL. Again, the intent to allow athletes to benefit, not a problem at all. The way it's being, but when I think what we, what Nick Saban and others envisioned when we said that was, I'll use an example from where I'm at in Ohio. Uh, there's a car dealership, Riker, their big car dealership here in central Ohio. Ohio State guy does Riker commercial, gets NIL money through that, through appearances, gets, you know, to lease a Riker vehicle, and that's what it is. But I don't think, and, and Riker does do that, and they do it effectively and in the right way. But I don't think everybody does it that way. These collectives, which is basically donors and, and boosters and pulling money together to give to the athletes. And what I think we're getting to the point where why wouldn't you just give a salary cap for, for how much money you can use. That would level the playing field, by the way, on a 12-team playing field, 12-team playoff field. And there it would cut the gap between the haves and the have-nots. Because, I mean, in reality, we could sit here and talk about how there's more opportunities for more schools. But I go back to Nick Saban. The only coaches that beat him on the SEC championship, BCS championship, or college football playoff stage were Kirby Smart, Urban Meyer, Dabo Sweeney, and Jim Harbaugh. So there's still a very short list of haves, superstore franchises, or college football teams that that can actually compete, if that makes sense. So I think we're headed toward this model of why wouldn't you just treat these mega college football brands like a professional franchise and have a salary cap? have revenue sharing, make them employees of the university and go from there. I think it's a much more financially sustainable model down the line than what we're doing now. I knew Charlie Baker a little bit when he was the governor here in Massachusetts. Now he's the president of the NCAA. I wonder if he would have had an easier road still dealing as a Republican, <laughs> dealing with the Democrats, or, or trying to straighten out this, this situation in the NCAA. Probably would. Because there's so many unanswered questions with this, the, the, there are two unending Pandora's boxes because we let it out and I'm not sure we were ready to let it out this way. Because what is college football? Is there another sport in this country that is governed by emotion than college football? I would say there isn't. You know, professional sports, they're, they're different. They They have salary caps. They have decisions you have to make. They're you know, you cut guys, you cut guys, but call it like college football schools, administrators, coaches, everybody make fans. They make decisions based on the emotion of losing to their rival. And it happens all the time. So what's stopping somebody from making a bad investment? And, you know, are these kids going to get the money they are promised? And you're giving X amount of money to an unproven four-star. One of the things that doesn't sit well with me and there's a small percentage of athletes, again, that actually command this. There's, to me, and I've had this discussion with others who disagree, I don't think a college football quarterback should be making more money than Brock Purdy makes for the 49ers. But there are people that don't agree with me on that. There, there are some, and I've argued with some of my writer colleagues, they'll say, well, that quarterback means more that to its university than Brock Purdy does to the 49ers. And then my counter is, well, the 49ers are worth $600 million. No college football team is worth that, a fraction of that. So it's just, it's almost like I, I was telling them, so when I was working as, at a student newspaper at Ohio University, should I be making more money than I did at Sporting News because I'm more valuable to the college paper? I don't think so. By the way, I didn't make more money at the Post than I do at Sporting News, shockingly. I, I, I think the, the 49ers value is in the billions now. Uh, I, I don't think we'll have to have any uh, uh, bake sales for them to keep them going. Let me let me take you down a couple more avenues in, in the world of, of college football. What's this lawsuit between the ACC suing, or is it Florida State suing the ACC or vice versa? Well... Both are suing each other. So here we go. Florida State doesn't. I wish I was a lawyer. Let, yeah. 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 So Speaking let's talk. Money. 
Let's talk again about decisions based on emotion. Yeah. Florida State misses the college football playoff. 13-0, first team out of a power of conference. Florida State had been saber-rattling that last summer about the future of the ACC and being worried about the revenue disparity with, by the way, it's in-state rival Florida who's making all these this money in the SEC. So Florida State tries to get out of this grant of rights deal. And what the grant of rights says is Florida State got money, and in return for that money, they turned over their intellectual property rights to their teams to ESPN so they could televise games. This contract runs through 2036. It's a three-page contract, not a 60-page document with a bunch of loopholes in it. And the ACC is saying, you can't leave. You signed this. And the exit fee is, both with the league and this grant of rights, runs up about $400 million. They can't do that and then leave and afford to have a football program. So there's going to be some legal back and forth here. Dueling lawsuits, Jerry, one in North Carolina, one in Florida. They've got to figure that out. And the legal expert I talked to said Florida State's really going to have a tough time getting out of uh, this contract. They made the comparison to signing a lease to an apartment and then figuring out in a couple years, that was probably a bad idea. Um, But they they still signed the lease. So there's not a lot of legal wiggle room for Florida State in this particular case right now. Let's stay in the state of Florida. Miami tight end Cam McCormick is going to get a ninth year of eligibility. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on? Yeah, he'll be 26. Um, So COVID threw rosters off a little bit because we gave kids an extra year, and there's not a problem with that. He's had several medical injuries. Another, you know, there's the traditionalist in me that says, yes, college kids, if you can't figure it out in four or five years, maybe this, you know, maybe it's time to play something else or or go to school or be a coach or whatever. Um, In his case, there were a lot of injuries. And I saw the ESPN interview with him. It sounds like, you know, he just wants to play for one more year. I can't fault that. But again, this is working the system a little bit. There were seven-year quarterbacks playing college football this year. Uh, Michael Penix, I mean, he had some injuries, too. He was in his sixth year. So I don't know. That's another one that as much as I'm happy that a kid's getting an opportunity to play, nine years is probably pushing it a little bit. What's going on with Deion Sanders? Well, I mean, we're going to see what year two brings. His kid's coming back, Shador. Um they had they were out of sight, out of mind in the last month of the season, and it was probably a good thing because the momentum built for September, it wasn't real. It was a mirage. It was a fad, what happened at Colorado. Now the trick for him is to, he has worked the transfer portal. They are bringing it. Their way of doing things is, it's less about recruiting. They only had four or five recruits in this class, and they bring in another huge class of transfers. So where they needed the most work was on the offensive and defensive line. As good as Shador is, he got hit a ton. Got hit a ton this year. And I don't, you know that watching the NFL over the years, Jerry. Remember David Carr got, he got, you know, you get hit enough, it has an effect. So, but he's a tremendous player. I think they'll work into a bold discussion next year in the Big 12 and create a lot of excitement in that conference. But are they a national championship contender yet? No, absolutely not. Is the uh, story of the Missouri Tigers this past season overlooked? Maybe a little. I mean, very impressive. You know, I watched them beat Ohio State in the bowl game, and Eli and the quarterback, Cook, very efficient. Luther Burden, outstanding receiver. They had a running back, Cody Schrader, that ran hard. And Eli's been able to instill some belief there. And they've had success there before. Gary Pinkle had some high-achieving teams. And it's going to be tough to replicate that in the new-look SEC where some of their Big 12 buddies are coming in. Oklahoma and Texas are back. And remember, Missouri had to operate in their shadow for years in the Big 12. But I think Eli Drinkwitz is such an interesting coach because he's not for everybody. He says some things and you're, you know, if you're a rival school or a rival fan base, you're like, what is this guy talking about? And then they went out and did it. They played Georgia as well as anybody this year. And they let the LSU game slip away. That was a, I, I think you said it best, probably one that, 
a story this season that didn't get noticed and maybe as much as it should have. Will Texas and Oklahoma be able to go into the SEC and pound on their chest and say, here we are, guys, let's go? I think they will regardless. I don't know if they're ready. I think Texas is ready. And Texas has built a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, especially on the lines. I think Steve Sarkeesian recognized that before they got in the conference, that, hey, we, we've got to win in the trenches. Now, they were good enough to win the national title this year. And I think they're going to continue to build on that. And the fact that he didn't take the Alabama job, I wouldn't have either because he's he's working at just a harder place and he's built this so far at Texas. See it through. Oklahoma won't back down from anybody. They may not be ready to win a national title or an SEC championship, but I know that fan base, they think of themselves as a blue blood that's won a bunch. And they, they're inviting this. They have the harder schedule to two next year. But they want that schedule, and they want this standing. And I think Oklahoma's won enough over the years that, that they'll be able to compete in that conference, and it'll help. Both of those schools are going to feel an increase in recruiting because they're recruits. They can sell that SEC patch on their jersey. Hey, you're going to go play at Florida. Hey, you'll be at Death Valley and go play at LSU. And recruits will get to be able to see you on the best spots. So I think both will improve. It'll be tough. It's going to be highly entertaining watching Texas and Oklahoma play in that conference. You mentioned a name earlier, Kirby Smart. Was there anything to the story about him and the Atlanta Falcons, although it looks like Belichick's going to get that job? I mean, I'm sure they they kicked the tires on Kirby or or at least called him. But, um, you know, Belichick, that's a very interesting fit to me. You know, how's he going to do down in Atlanta with Arthur Blank with a young and talented roster, especially if he can pick his quarterback in this upcoming draft? I think that could be a lot of fun. Uh, Kirby is probably going to get NFL looks each year. Now, let's play this out. If if Saban's out, which he is, and Jim leaves, Harbaugh, Kirby is by far the top coach in college football, the, the one with multiple natties, the one with uh, – the recruiting, the the setup to win more national titles. I could make a strong argument that even though they didn't make the playoff, that they were still the best team in the country this year after what I watched them do to an admittedly depleted Florida State team. So I think Kirby's comfortable where he's at. If anything, Kirby could make a run at four or five national titles with Georgia. Is Jimbo Fisher doing anything other than cutting or counting his separation money? I wouldn't do anything else. I don't think he's doing any. I think he'll get back in coaching eventually, and I don't know where that will be. But I mean, with that kind of buyout money, I don't know if you'd. Uh, I don't know if you'd get me <laughs> outside of the living room watching my TV. And uh, I always make a joke with my buddies. If I if I had that much money, I would uh, buy the world's log- largest couch and the world's largest TV, and maybe take a break for a couple months. There you go. There you go. Yeah, we we've talked about the transfer portal we've talked about the nil all these coaching changes and coaching changes to come do we lay all of this because it's been it's it's been so unsettling if you will do we lay this all at the door of television because the 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 conference agreements are changing too next year do we lay all of this at the door of of the tv gods well yes and no i mean the the tv definitely dictates the game when it should be the other way around. I mean, I've talked to bull executives that have thought if I were in charge of college football, I would get all these conferences together, the the power conferences. So for the sake of this discussion, ACC, Big 10, Big 12, SEC and get everybody working together and then they take the package to the to the networks instead of vice versa. That's how the NFL does it. They, they take it to the networks, and now we have it on Peacock and everything else. Um, that's an entirely separate discussion. But everybody's going to want a piece of this 12-team playoff. Everybody's going to want to sell college football. It's just not sold the same way that um, the NFL is because ESPN has their own interest now with the SEC, as the other networks do with the Big Ten. I think what we're going to see – is the Big Ten and the SEC are going to profit tremendously in this next age, and the other conferences are probably going to suffer a little bit. 
And I'm not somebody that wants to see the ACC die or wants to see the Big 12 suffer. I like the regionality of the sport and some of that's been taken away. But these TV networks are the ones that are saying, hey, we'll bring Oregon and Washington to the Big 10. We'll do that. But we're not going to include this school. Uh, And it's bound to hurt some feelings and it's bound to hurt the game a little bit. We are approaching the 46th minute of our conversation, and I can't thank you enough for your time. But there is a, uh, a uh, an amendment to the Constitution, I believe, that any time you talk about college football, you must mention Notre Dame. So I don't <laughs> want to break any laws. What's happening with the Fighting Irish? Well, they they they've got a nice setup still because through all the realignment, they still have an agreement with the ACC. As long as Florida State and Clemson and those schools are in the ACC, they're fine. As long as they have playoff access and as long as they have their own TV deal, I don't see anything changing for the Irish. I don't see them going to the Big Ten. Now, if the ACC falls apart, they'll probably go to the Big Ten, you know, and join that regional conference with, by the way, USC and Michigan and Michigan State, Purdue and all their classic rivalries. Even Stanford's in the ACC now. I guess they can sell that one. But um, they've got a talented team, too, coming back. I think Marcus Freeman did a nice job this year. They played a really tough part in the schedule where they just, you know, one yard away against Ohio State, fourth straight game against a ranked team against Louisville, and then they went down in Clemson, and a lot of teams go down to Clemson and lose. But in this 12-team setup, they should be a playoff regular. They're still in that discussion. I think they're on the clock as far the part of the country I live in. You know, Michigan's got one now, and Ohio State's got one. Notre Dame's that third power, and they haven't won someone since 1988. And believe me, the Michigan and Ohio State fans I know will absolutely hold that over their head. Let's close this conversation with this. Bowl games. They're, they're, they're not what they once were. They're not our, our grandfather's New Year's Day entertainment. No, they're not. And but I still watch them. I watched the I Jerry, I watched the famous Toastery Bowl all the way through this year. It it was a fantastic game where Western Kentucky trailed 28-0, had a transfer portal, a kid in the transfer portal still on their roster came in the game and led a comeback. They they won in overtime. It was phenomenal. I love watching bowl games. I, I always say they mean something different that to everybody. And what did it mean to Florida State? Not too much because they got left out. They lose. Now, that was ugly. I didn't like watching that. And, and some of these, I think the New Year's Day six bowls are going to struggle with the 12-team playoff. I think bowl games are going to struggle with this. But I, there are going to be kids that opt out of playoff games. It's going to happen. There are going to be kids that transfer during playoff games. Remember, Malik Murphy for Texas transferred to Duke before the sugar, he didn't play in the Sugar Bowl. I didn't think that was going to happen 15 years ago, and, and now it has. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of things with bowl games that the diminished value of them. I still enjoy watching them, though, and it's something to do while I'm wrapping presents during Christmas. So, uh, um, and maybe maybe to hide in a room by myself for a little bit and get away from my. But <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that out loud. But no, sometimes you just need a minute, and, and you can just say, "I'm really busy watching this bowl game." Yeah. Well, I, t- I tell you what, your, your conversation with us is a present for those who, who listen. I, I can't thank you enough for the time. And I, I hope you'll be uh, generous enough to come and get together with us next September as we look ahead to the uh, upcoming college football season. Well, it's a date. And, and what a fun conversation this was. I still love the game. There's a lot that, that needs to go right for it in the future. But anytime I get to talk college football is a win. And uh I'll definitely look forward to that. We're going to have a lot of playoff teams to talk about next year, Jerry. So we'll have fun doing it. Very good. Bill Bender, the Sporting News, their National College Football Writer, visiting with us here. And it's been a a great conversation. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. And I always enjoy hearing from Svengali, as we call him, Dave D'Agostino. David? Oh, wonderful interview, Jerry. And, And Bill, I don't know how you do it. I mean, College football is an $8 billion industry with no CEO, no scheduling quarter, and you made it make sense to us and our audience today. So I give you a lot of credit for that. We appreciate you coming on the show. I'd I'd love to throw one caveat for you to think about. I'm going to miss 
the Pac-12, even though I'm an East Coaster, I always think the Rose Bowl is, is such a historic event. I'd love to see the national championship game always be the Rose Bowl. I think that would be a nice, at least a nice tribute to the Pac-12 being bye-bye. Well, a couple of things with that. As somebody that grew up in Big Ten country, I hate I hated to see the death of the Pac-12. You know, you grew up hoping Ohio State or Michigan, you'd watch the Rose Bowl, see how warm it is. Uh, my hometown, quick story, Rex Kern played on Ohio State's 1968 national championship team, Lancaster, Ohio guy, played in the Rose Bowl, married the Rose Bowl parade queen, still lives out there. And just that was the dream if you were a Lancaster, Ohio kid. I'm going to go win the Rose Bowl and, and and play against USC or UCLA. We hated USC and UCLA, and now they're in the Big Ten. It, it's such a surreal thing. And as for the Rose Bowl itself, anybody that hasn't been there, um, there's so much history. I, I got the one time I went up there, I had a photographer at SN at the time tell me, go up the tunnel and just feel the history. That's what he said. And I went up the tunnel, I'm walking out, and I'm thinking about Charles White and, you know, Tyrone Wheatley and Rex Kern and just the legendary college people that walk down that tunnel. And you're exactly right. It should absolutely be in the rotation for national championship games because it's the best venue in college football. Yeah, I, I agree. And in three hours, Jimbo Fisher will be cashing another $25,000 check for Thursday. So. <laughs> I bet he's got a big couch. Oh my word! Three, three. He could buy a new couch every day, every hour. So, but uh, with our audience, thanks so much for your support. Sixty-four thousand subscribers. I uh, didn't mention this pre-show, but Jerry, we have been nominated for two podcast awards: one for our network, Real Voices of the Game, which includes all of our shows, and uh, one for our flagship show, Coaching Kernan. So, two podcast uh, awards potentially. Uh, we're up against some some big dogs with guys like Colin Cowherd. If you've heard of him and, uh, you know, Jason Whitlock, just some small time guys. Well, you, you, you deserve the credit because you put this together and, and you have worked so hard and been so easy for us to work with. So congratulations to you. Oh, shoot. It's it, you know how it goes with, you know, we talked about college football players win games. So we've got guys like yourself and guests like Bill. It certainly gives us a little bit extra punch in there. I'm sure with it, uh, I also want to thank our sponsors, uh, Jaw Bats, RBG at checkout, get you 15% off of everything. Wonderful bats. Jeff Fry did not hit a home run down there at fantasy camp, but he's hitting a lot of singles. I still think he can hit 300 at the age of 60. So he's down there using Jaw. Tanner's using it, my son. Uh, loves it, lefty and righty. M110 is his model. So check out Jaw Bats. And then, of course, Blackout Coffee. Coffee's on troop this year, all of 2024. J-E-R-R 20 at checkout, get you 20% first your first batch and then 15% in perpetuity. And with that, Jerry, thanks so much for what you do. Bill, thanks for coming on again. You're a treat for our audience. Just a, a pleasure. And we look forward to following you out there with all that you do. Thanks again. Oh, guys. Thanks so much.